0: Hi, this is Mistress Katia, and this
1: massacast is for adults over 18 and kinky individuals over 18. So if you're under 18, get the hell out of here. Thank you. Uh, someone asked me recently why I don't uh, update Twitter all that often. That's because I, I have basically two Twitter accounts. I have the massacast Twitter account, which basically is just for announcing new episodes. And then I have uh, my unspeakable axe Twitter account. And that one is where I do my general tweeting. By the way, I served under general tweeting in Nam. A little fun fact for you. You can find uh, today's guests at Passion and Soul on Twitter. Passion and Soul online. Just about everywhere. Lee Harrington, the legendary. Lee Harrington. Lee's one of those people, if you've, if you've never heard the name Lee Harrington, welcome back from your coma. Lee travels all over the world, teaching about kink, lots of rope. Well, you, you'll hear conversation with Lee Harrington.
0: I am envious of people who have a nine-to-five. Right. Because, like, you've got a, a system where it's like, oh, you wake up on Monday morning, you go to work, you get done at five or six, you go home, and then you repeat the process. That's just so sexy. But you, but you, but you quit a nine-to-five. Um so back in 2002 i had a pretty major car accident and uh in 2003 like it was on new year's eve 2002 and in 2003 i you know my job transitioned from being uh flex hours which i was a database administrator while shooting porn on the side because you know that's what database administrators do and (laughs) and it was hilarious that uh That when it shifted from being flex hours to being a classic nine to five, I didn't find that I had the capacity to do that kind of work. I mean, I've, uh, because as a, as a flex hours DBA, like some days I would work four hours, some days I would work 12 hours. I was able to work not just to my body capacity, but work to what projects needed done. But instead, they moved me to a 9-to-5 and micromanaged me. Right. They moved me from being under the development department to specifically moving me under the secretarial pool. Whoever thought that a DBA should be under the secretarial pool was crazy.
1: Clearly, person was just... Yeah. ...up or something. But.
0: Yeah. And so I ended up between that and then I was having to go to doctor's appointments three times a week. And they were like, well, you're obviously not serious about your job. I'm like... Had a major car accident. Yeah. <laughs> and I ran the numbers and I realized that between uh, modeling in and shooting photography and videography for the porn industry, that if I moved to that being my full-time career, I could make the same amount of money. Or close, at least.
1: Well, I feel, because uh, when I when I first read that in your bio, that you yeah. quit your 9 to 5, I, I thought that this was a case of you going... You know what? Screw you! I'm gonna live my dream, which it sounds like there was a little bit in there, but it was also you. You did some math. You were you were, you were right. logical about it as well. Yeah. So I don't feel so jealous of how you did it, because I was really like, how? How did you have the guts to? But, all right. Well, so let's talk. So you you you, before that though, you were doing you were shooting porn.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, it's been my whole life has been transition after transition after transition, where it's like, oh, I'm gonna move from this concept to this concept, and there was like overlaps between. And so, uh, you know, in college, my degree was in arts administration and cultural studies, but when I got back to the States, even though I'd done tons of work in Europe, I couldn't find any work in the Northwest United States, and so I transitioned into being in database administration. While I was shooting, while I was in England, I shot my first porn, so I kept it up like piecemeal here in in the States, And then transitioned into that being a full-time job. When I started my gender, like, while having a porn career, I started teaching sexuality because I was, you know, locally in Portland, Oregon. People are like, oh, you do really cool rope work. Can you teach a class? And I'm like, okay, that'd be fun. Or I'd be shooting porn in New York City and... Uh, you know, a friend of mine was on the board for tests and he was like, hey, do you want to come and teach some classes on punching and kicking or right. on whatever it might be? You're in New York. And so by the time that, you know, I wrote my first book, which was when I started being able to actually charge money for teaching, because uh, I actually had be, was able to say, you know, author of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, It was really interesting to me that people were willing to have that experience because not only was I an author, but because I had this resume that said that by that point I'd taught in 12, 13 states and in two or three, like in three countries by that point and dead performances, quote, all over the globe. But it's and it's funny because people who think, oh you, you went and followed your dream, you dropped everything. And I'm like, well Kind of true. <laughs> it's really romantic that way. It is really right. romantic, yeah. and I have kids, and I don't mean to use the word kids lightly, but like people who are passionate and oftentimes younger, who have written me and said, "How do I become a full-time sex educator?" And my short answer is, uh, do stuff on the weekends, build up your resume locally go and have fun other places and I actually I'm now doing a teaching intensive for people who are pursuing their passions teaching within their their field of passion and I literally wrote like a six page you know single space six page list of ideas of ways people can you know up their value as it were Because I know you've talked on the podcast before about people saying professionals. Yeah. And I know for some people, that's their leg up is saying, I'm a pro dom or I'm a pro sub. That's their leg up. For other people, it's I do performance art. That's their leg up. For other people, it's I'm a fantastic educator and now I'm doing kink education, which I think of Bendy Yoga Girl as being a fantastic, and she's out about this, so I'm not, you know, that she has a history for the last 20 plus years of being a professional educator. Yeah. And now she's sharing what it's like to be a bottom, and she's able to communicate that because she's been a professional educator.
1: I just interviewed her like two weeks ago. Oh, really? <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. And oh, she's made, amazing. she made me so jealous of the Seattle scene, too. And I thought I thought we had it great here in New York. Seattle just sounds like it's... Um, no, I knew this is the best problem to have when interviewing someone, is that there are so many... You could talk... you. Obvious already. You talk for two minutes, and I already have like twenty questions. I already have twenty questions, and I'm trying to pick which one. But maybe let's let's go back to because you have so many things. I was looking at your list of books. You have a book on so many different subjects. Maybe when we start at the very beginning. When did you first start getting in? You realize okay, I'm I'm kinky, or how did you first start exploring into this? because you obviously. Even though many people probably believe you were born with all this knowledge, you obviously had to grab it somewhere.
0: I decided I was kinky when I was seven, and I even had that word. Right. Uh, my father had an extensive porn collection, and I came across of across a Penthouse Forum magazine. Where there was this girl who was telling her story of like Dear Penthouse. Right. You know. Where she was telling this story about how it was her twenty first birthday and a friend of hers told her put on a sexy fetish outfit. He put a blindfold on her and took her away in his car. Took her to a you know, another friend's house to go to a play space, and while she was there, she got tied down, her clothes ripped off of her, pudding eaten off her body, hot gangbang scene, all of this stuff. And at the end of it, she said, "You know, thank you so like thank you so much for sharing my story. It was all my people from the local kinky sex community who helped my dreams come true. And by this point, I'd probably read like 20 porn mags. yeah, and all the other ones were talking about like, and I'll never be able to tell my wife. Yeah, or uh, and I'll never see her again. Yeah. Or like these stories that had this little piece of woe,
1: yeah,
0: or this little piece of sorrow. And here was a story that had none of that.
1: But you had, and you could comprehend that at seven? Yeah. I mean, that's really advanced. I mean, as far as maybe, I'm from the Midwest. Our reading comprehension level for porn was probably much <laughs> lower, I guess. But oh. um, but that's really amazing.
0: Well, it, So to me, it wasn't so much about the sexual acts. Yeah. I could have cared less, but it was her statement of, my friends helped my dreams come true. Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, well, if kinky is something you can do to have your friends make your dreams come true, that's the kind of friends I want. Yeah. And so I started exploring privately, probably around probably around that period, of eight, nine, yeah. somewhere in there. I uh, started exploring with partners at 13. Uh, you know, I started, under a fake ID, going to clubs when I was, uh, well, started, you know, told people I was 18 when I was 15. Right. Started going to clubs when I was 16. And do I advise that in any way, shape, or form? No. Like I feel horrible for the people that I played with when I under, when I was under eighteen, because yeah. I put them at risk. Absolutely. Like that's a horrible thing to have done. Uh, but at the same time, having been playing with people since I was thirteen, the fact that I learned about what a safe word was, it it might have it might have saved my
1: life. Absolutely. Sure. So and 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 it's yeah. it's the truth, right? I mean, it's what happened to you. So right. Better better to not lie about it. Right? I mean. And then, when you were thirteen, how did you find partners at just boyfriends, girlfriends? When you were that age, and so
0: I went to a Unitarian Universalist youth camp uh, one time. One time at a Unitarian Universalist youth camp, like I feel it's like one time at band camp kind of thing. <laughs> and I was I was very goth at the time, and you've got to remember I was also female presenting sure. at the time, so I had. Black hair down past my shoulders, and a blood red streak in the front, and was wearing a long black dress and a black trench coat and a black feather bow and black At a Unitarian
1: boots and- camp. Yeah,
0: yeah, and um, and there was a boy that I met there who was gay, and uh, he and I started talking about how I had gone. And, and was high femme because I always felt like a boy whatever but like it didn't work very well but I didn't know what, what that and he introduced me to the concept of transgender and I was like oh because my thought of transgender at the time was that it was football players who became women yeah like that was my only reference point sure. it was Christine Jorgensen and all that kind of stuff so so that like that weekend the plan had been you know like we We found each other, we like met up in the in the kitchen area of the you know of the big like dining hall. we snuck in there and you know picked the lock and like the plans was we were gonna have really hot, naughty sex, and he brought a couple of condoms with him to camp and all that sort of thing, and I ended up spending the night crying hmm. because of uh you know having had a sexual violation um in my past, hmm. and like we ended up talking and all this stuff. And found out some of his past, which involved having kinky sex with older men. And uh, and so that was through exposure with him, I was able to go, oh, because like, these are some things that he was interested in, but there was a lot of things about the organization that they were involved with and all that kind of stuff that was dubious. Yeah. And so he and I started exploring consensually with one another, but for good or ill, he had that background with, uh, with NAMBLA and whatnot that it wasn't so healthy yeah and so some of the behaviors that he introduced me to were also not as healthy because that's where he came from yeah. it's not that he was purposely trying to abuse me it's not any of that stuff that's all but he it knew. was it's right. what he knew
1: yeah it sounds like uh, i mean you were very self-aware at a very early age i mean that's that's you experienced some things at 13 that many people don't find out about themselves until some of them are in their 40s right do you consider yourself a switch? Do you consider yourself a uh, top, bottom? I mean, how do you usually, or, or are you the person who like, I don't want to label? So
0: I actually just, I, I just did a podcast that went live two days ago, yeah. uh, though by the time you run this podcast, it'll have been a while back and people can scroll back. Yeah. But I did a podcast that was on behavior as compared to identity. Yeah. Because I'm actually sitting with that question right now. Because in my personal identity, I identify as a god slave. I um, some people like think of it as nuns are married to Christ. Sure. I consider myself submissive to my, the deity that I serve, sure. and or a slave more accurately to the deity that I serve, uh, and that's a primary piece of my identity. Period. I consider myself to be on the master slave spectrum, more on the owner side. On the dominant submission spectrum, I tend to be more of a dominant in life and submissive with specific people. Uh, when it comes to play, I'm there's certain types of play uh, that I play on one side or the other. But for the most part, it's all over the place. But there are certain people that yeah. I can't really imagine ever topping them or bottoming to yeah. them, or it's just that specific that specific thing. And in my eternal identity, I identify queer with a gay leaning, you know, as a man, and so, you know, sexually fantasize about men and wanting to be more sexual with men, and yet I'm dating a fantastic trans man who I love, who's my primary partner, but all the other people I'm pursuing right now are all women. Yeah. So where does that put behavior as compared to identity? So this is the, this is
1: the, because I I, I love the the responses I get on this question, because some people think it's ridiculous to even think about it, right. and some people think, no, you must think about right. it. Um, <laughs> and I and I, I know why it, why it's important. Well, why why other people perceive it as important because they like to put people in a box so yeah. they know how to interact with them, right? Right? Because they they know, oh well, uh, I mean, just because people like to know these things for yeah. some reason, whatever. Um, there's something about our brains that likes to categorize the people around us, right? Is this my boss? Is this a co... You know, wh- yeah. whatever. Um, and sometimes I feel silly just even asking it, but there's still, still that part of my brain that thinks, well, I, I, for some reason I have to know. I don't know why I have to know.
0: Well, the reality is schema, right? Those things that allow us to jump from point A to point V, yeah. right, in our brain, save our lives, right? If I had to actively think about, well, I don't drive, but I've heard this conversation with people who drive cars. If I had to think about every piece of information as i'm driving a car i'm gonna get hit yeah, yeah, yeah right the ability to see something out of the corner of my eye and know to swerve out of the way i'm not taking that two seconds three seconds to go well is that a car or is that something else do i need to worry about like if i stop and think those things i'm gonna die yeah but if we look at it as interpersonal relationships if we have a piece of information about someone, we have a few assumptions we can make, and it's the next step in the conversation. To me, the challenge with labels is when people stop thinking of them as conversation openers and think of them as conversation closers. Right.
1: I always feel jealous of, I have friends who are bisexual switches. Mm. I'm like, I'm so jealous of my friends who are bisexual switches because it just sounds more exciting than straight submissive, you know, or whatever. And. Um, I guess I feel like I'm on the vanilla scale of, of kink. I don't know what it is, but it's. I don't. I don't is it a lack of self-reflection? As I have no idea what it is, but I have so many friends who have all these labels that they've attached to themselves, and I think, man, am I am I just am I just wired simply too simply, or or am I just not giving it enough thought?
0: So, I was uh, a very dear friend of mine, someone I, I adore to pieces and, and love and whatnot, uh, identifies as a cis female, so female, born female, female identified, yeah. uh, submissive, mm-hmm. who is sexually and emotionally attracted to men. The end. Right? That's what she's got going on. Sure. And she and we were talking about it and she's like, okay, so what do you got going on? And I'm talking about you know, I'm a trans man who is a sexual bottom, i.e. I like to get fucked, and yet I'm dating all these people where it's not like, but I like getting fucked by men, so how does that work into the entire equation? Or more accurately, not just I like to be fucked by men, but I also like to be fucked by cocks. so what does that look like? And I'm having this entire discussion with her, and she goes, wow, I thought me finding a partner was hard. <laughs> and so that's the trade-off, right? Is that for people who have really complex identities and realities and who have done that soul searching or are
1: just wired crazy like some of us are just wired crazy but is it but it almost see i when i hear you describe yourself and assign those labels to me it sounds like you have a lot of different opportunities for for play but now you're saying it's it, it limits your play? Yeah. Okay.
0: It absolutely does because the number of people who want to submit to me, who then see me bottom hardcore and get you know punched in the face or whatever, who are just like, whoa, they're not ab- actually dominant. Uh-huh. Who have those assumptions, or people who will see me play that way and go, wow, I can't top them. I'm not that hardcore. And I'm like, could could you tie my hands together? <laughs> right. And and have sex with me? Yeah. Because that sounds sexy to me, but people start painting these stories about what they hear about me or what they see from me. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think that happens when we date people, too, where people go, oh, wow, well, when you were with your other partner, you liked these things and I'm not that thing, whatever that thing is, yeah. I can't live up to whatever you had before. And so I think those stories, my personal belief is that those stories circulate in sex, in romance, in people's careers. Think of the number of times, like, you know, talking to my mother where she was looking for jobs and she took her CV, all, you know, her resume all over the place. And people are like, well, you've worked at such and such jobs and you've been paid this much money. I'm not sure if we have a job yeah. for you. And she's yeah. like, I wouldn't be coming to you yeah. if I didn't want to work exactly. for you and
1: didn't know what the job was. Yes so you're saying you're you're almost. Your the myth about you is, is is to your detriment yeah because because people are like because especially like if you're at a play party or something like that there's probably a lot of people who you probably get maybe maybe you get approached more by people who aren't don't know who Lee Harrington is than or how I mean is that is that is that how it usually works because pe- so I get approached by a lot of people
0: who want me to be the rope vending machine yeah or who know me for one specific thing or saw that one performance or saw that one scene and they want to have a recreation of them for themselves yeah and one of the things that I've gotten in the habit of doing is is saying I have a question are you interested in playing with rope are you interested in playing or are you interested in doing something with rope are you interested in doing something with me or are you interested in playing with rope with me yeah And I have a number of people who are like, well, I want to get tied up. I'm like, great. Let me introduce you to my friend, Steve. Right. And Steve loves the fact that I refer to him (laughs) because he's a tech. Like One of his erotic identities, I don't know if he actually uses the word, but he talks about the concept of it as being a technician of people's desires. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where he's just like seeing a woman flipping around in midair and giggling their butt off and then kissing me afterwards. Yeah he's elated by that experience Well, for me I find it kind of eh it's not really my thing I'll do it from time to time for people that I really appreciate I got to do it for one of my best friends girlfriends recently and I was delighted that they trusted me enough and they came to me and I felt like I was getting to connect with one of my best friends better through that experience so I love that sort of thing but when somebody says I just really want to do something with you I, I get a chance to say cool how about we go and play apples to apples or how about we go get a cup of coffee or how about we go have a really hardcore cuddling scene Yeah Or if I'm in the mood to do something else I can I can communicate that but it's it's really interesting sometimes that I have people who, who come for the vending machine experience
1: Yeah I can I can imagine that being a big, a big I mean I suppose I suppose it's it's Maybe it's one of the problems with being so awesome. I don't know. You know what I mean? Is that, is that what it is? I mean, well, on, the, on the plus side, they're asking because they, they're really impressed, right? Right. But at the, but uh, no, I I totally understand what you're saying. But
0: right? they don't know me. Yeah. Right? They know... I mean, I, I joke about it, but I, I probably get an email a week because I do a lot of stuff on, stuff on sacred sex and mm-hmm. sacred kink, which is something I'm profoundly invested in as part of my vocation. And so I have people who write me probably about once a week saying, um, "I had a dream about you." And what I've come to realize is that they're not actually necessarily dream. It's not necessarily me dream walking, which I've done sometimes. I've had people have conversations with me in their dreams, and I remember them, and it's all creepy and whatever. But you know, creepy but true in some ways. But there's other times where I'm like, no, no, no. What you're talking about is the avatar known as Lee Harrington, right? Where it's this this character that I've created. Right, that is my life stories mm-hmm. and is my and is my personality, but it's boxed up and made into a safe presentation, so that when I put it up on a pet, like I put it up and for the world to use. I was about to say on a pedestal, but that's not quite what I'm talking about. When I I put it out there for the world, if something hits this avatar, it only has ripples to me because I know that they're not necessarily personally attacking me or personally idolizing me. They're idolizing this character. Yeah. Which is eighty percent me, yeah, but it isn't necessarily the full truth of me.
1: So when people come up to you and they want you to be the rope vending machine, and it, it, it almost sounds like, uh, it, like it's it's like you always read stories about someone who wins the lottery and all of a sudden they have people coming out of the woodwork, who who all of a sudden they want to be their best friend. mean right. They haven't some guy from high school. They, they you know they they haven't talked to in years and years and years, and so now you show up. And people are like, oh, finally I can get that one thing I, I was looking to do, or whatever.
0: Well, the trade-off, though, is that... And this is the challenge with having these conversations, right? Some person at home who really wants to connect with me is going to hear it and go, oh, well, I really want to meet Lee, and I'm really attracted to Lee. I don't want to be that asshole who turns him into a rope vending machine. Right. And so the polite people who I actually want to connect with... Back the hell up. So, uh, <laughs> and that's not what I want either. Like I, It's like, how do I, and I don't know this answer, how do, I, how do I tell the people who are respectful and beautiful and amazing, hi, I want to know you. Hi, I want to tie you up. Hi, I want to be tied up by you. Hi, I want to do something with you. Whether that's get a cup of coffee or having you punch me in the face, I don't know.
1: Well, here's how you do it. <laughs> if you're listening... You're- if you're listening and and you were thinking that and you were th- saying to yourself, I don't want to be one of those people, chances are you're not one of those people because you, that thought crossed right. your mind. So therefore, approach Lee, and then you won't be one of those people because you had thought about it. Yeah. This is like an uh, in- Inception interview. All of a sudden, this is like <laughs> different layers going through there.
0: Do I have to spin the little dreidel thing and see <laughs> yeah, yeah. what level of reality am right. we on?
1: If someone does listen, and, and or wants to approach you what is the best way for them to is it is it if you're at a play party or if you're at an event is it for them to not even mention not even bring up the fact that play just try to get to know you first is that the type of thing or
0: so i think one of my challenges i have is that i'm really bad at suspending disbelief I am. I've always been this kind of player. And it's one of the things I find challenge with when it comes to concepts of classical negotiation systems. Where I find in the community, people tend to do things like, so what are your limits? What are you into? Let's talk about our pros, our cons, our yeses, our nos, and let's go play. (laughs) And my brain goes, wow, that's a lot of information. And now my cock is not hard. (laughs) 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 So, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right,
1: you're right. It's been analyzed so much and so ster- sterilized by right. Right.
0: And I'm all for people who can do that. I think it's an amazing skill set. Yeah. But instead like my negotiation systems that I tend to do are vomiting information in advance. So, you know, having a pleasant conversation with somebody and being like, so I'm really into this, 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 and this, and this, and what about you? Yeah, yeah. And then if we happen to play down the road, we've already pre-shared tons of information. Mm -hmm. I have a play partner of mine who, probably six years ago, I came up to him and said, so I have challenges suspending disbelief. And he said, okay. (laughs) And I said, but I might like to play with you down the road. Is this something that might possibly interest you down the road? And he said, Yeah, actually. And I said, cool. I don't want to play right now. And he's like, uh, you lost me again. Like, what I would really like to do, if your game, is to vomit a whole lot of information at you and have you ask lots of questions. And then have us both pretend this never happened. Right. That's that's a good idea. And share information in both directions. And he said, all right. And I said, and I promise, like, Scout's honor, if I change any of this information, I will update you and I ask you to do the exact same. And he thought about it and said, okay. So we talked for probably 45 minutes in both directions, sharing fantasies, desires, things were, like, that are hard limits, you know, safer sex stuff, like all of that kind of thing. And about a year and a half passed, and out of nowhere, he grabbed me outside of a dungeon, threw me down, this was at a kinky sex event that that was fine at, yeah. grew me, threw me down on the ground, grabbing me by the back of the neck, pinned me down to the ground and fucked me stupid, kicked me in the ass, and then walked away. And I was like, "Nice,
1: <laughs> that's fantastic." Because it was in the background already, right? Because
0: yeah. we'd already, like, we'd already talked about the fact that that's something that's desirous to me with somebody who, it, with an energy that he's ex- ex- exerted in my direction. Yeah, um, that wouldn't be the case for every person I met. That would be socially awkward. Um, like, yeah, yeah. I would never be able to live a life <laughs> if everybody could do that. <laughs> like, everywhere I, I leave a coffee shop, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: You're like, um, oh, damn
0: it. But um, but yeah, so with him, that's one of the ways that I did stuff. I've had other people where we've talked online ahead of time. And then when we met each other, it was, you know, other people where we met at a party and we happened to be sitting next to each other and they'll whisper over to me, uh, so... And they'll put a hand on my thigh, and I'll lean back in. And it's like the swinger approach, right? Where it's like, if their hand goes on your thigh, and your hand goes back on their thigh, that's a positive point of information. We can progress by there with dirty talk. Yeah. Right? Of like, so I would love to dot, dot, dot. And that works really well with me. Uh, So it's like, it really varies. Like, when I'm at a bathhouse, I want no verbal communication, or as close to possible, because that's part of the fantasy. Yeah. Of that space.
1: Because it's anonymous and then discussing it beforehand would kind of ruin the whole thing. Right. 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 And, and I will and still, if you're there, you're sort of a given. Right? right. Exactly.
0: And I'll still speak up for my needs. Sure. like Because there are some people who play differently with safer sex limits. And I'll pull out that condom even for oral sex because that's how I roll. Mm-hmm. And, and I've had people, like, once I pull out the condom for oral sex, they're just like, uh, and I'm just like, and I'll hold up my hands and be like, you got a choice. Yeah. I won't say that, but it's like, you know, with body language. Yeah. So... It's it's one of those really interesting places because I don't necessarily have an easy answer. Yeah. And that's really frustrating to me. Sure. Like, I'm sure it frustrates people who want to approach me as well because there's not an easy set thing. Because I've, I've had people say, like, well, should I email you ahead of time? And I go, well, we can discuss things ahead of time. But because if... If you're approaching me at an event that I'm teaching at, like if you, I've had people write me, like I I had a person write me recently and say, hey, I'm going to be at this conference you're going to be at. We've never met before. Would you be open to do stuff? Actually, I had another friend who actually, is somebody I have played with before that I had said the same basic thing to, where they're like, do you want to play? And I'm like, I would love to put you on my radar. But if I've taught three classes in one day, I might have no spoons for topping. Sure, sure. Like, that just might be my reality. Yeah. And so, which is interesting because I think a piece of that is that I want to be present with someone. Like, I actually want to be there.
1: Yeah. You and and, and, and what, what amazes me about, about the story, you, about, about the guy jumping you from outside outside the dungeon. Yeah. Oh, and that's for your tea bag, by yes. the way. If you're in. Um <laughs> I I pointed it out because I never even knew that that was a thing. I oh. left it in there until I met Saad. And she's like, no, you got to put it somewhere. I'm like, you hey, just leave it until it's um, <laughs> done. I just like it dark. But, I mean, the, if he would actually stop and say, hey, are you in the mood for this right now? That's sort of a 50-50 thing. Because if you weren't in the mood, it would have been a bad thing. But because you talked about it ahead of time, it just happened to be the right time in the right place and it just worked out or one
0: of the discussions we had in that was one of my limits is you will not approach me when I'm teaching half an hour before I'm teaching or half an hour after I'm teaching like that is off the table period because that's part of my ethics as a teacher like I want to be present sure that's not okay Um, and one of the other things I, I said was that I take personal responsibility that if I'm not okay with something I will speak that yeah and so, to me, that's—I mean, would I still like if I wasn't in the mood for that? Would, would that have freaked me out? Yeah. But that's part of my personal responsibility to have taken that style of negotiation. You still would
1: have—you would have said something if, it, you know, if it was definitely way out of what you were.
0: Yeah, in, like I think there's also a difference between saying uh, oh, uh, and "what the fuck." Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I think there's a difference in <laughs> in communication there. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: <laughs> you also mentioned earlier that. One problem you you come upon is is someone seeing you maybe bottom and then thinking oh my god I can't yeah. I can't bottom to this person they're bottoming and vice versa right. and that's I remember having that reaction very early on in my experiences because I, I remember just thinking of if uh, I was on a date with a dominant woman once and and she showed this the smallest possibility of her being just a, a real human yeah. and I was like oh my god. I can't, I can't submit to her. She's not dominant enough, right? Which is right. the most immature, but it's so early on in my exploration that I had my only exposure to dominant women before it was in porn, right? right, or or in novels or something. So I had this idea of what it was. How do how do you deal with it when someone clearly has a has a, an, oh my god, I can't do that because. Because you're bottoming or because you're topping, how do you deal with that? I mean, what, how does that conversation look? Or is it just one of those things that it's a mental block they have and there's nothing you can do about it?
0: My usual answer is, okay. <laughs> I, because that's not mine. Yeah, that's their story, yeah, that is not about me. yeah. I am not actually any less dominant. I am not yeah. actually any less submissive. I am not any less authentic because I happen to have engaged in something that put them off. That's not about me, yeah. And that was a really hard lesson for me,
1: but it's also it's i I can just about guarantee you some period of time, maybe a year, maybe a month, maybe two years, maybe ten years, when they learn that lesson themselves that, oh, I get it now. They're going to be kicking themselves, right? Because they have they themselves have missed out on the opportunity.
0: Well, it was hilarious when you were talking about a guy can't do missionary position because I had a girl who was in service to me who was just like, you know, I can't sexually top you. I'm your girl. Yeah, yeah. And I said, but I'm ordering you yeah. to fist me. Right. And her brain just, I saw this like little short circuit for a moment where she's just like, uh, d- 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 uh, uh, uh. Error. Right. And then after a little bit, she was just like, is that what you really want? And I was like, that's what I really want. And she said, will you tell me how you want it done? And I said, yeah. And she was like, if you'll tell me how to do it while we're doing it, I'll do that to serve you. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I had a I had a boy who was in service to me for a while who's an amazing single tail top like he's one of the best in the northwest in my opinion mm-hmm. absolutely amazing and it's because his former mistress was a single tail bottom mm-hmm. and ordered him to learn and so now he does it as an act of service yeah. for people and I think that's an amazing gift to have developed to be able to like yeah it's a really interesting process to me but I think at the same time, there are folks that, you know, the, the person that you mentioned that couldn't be in missionary style position because that wouldn't be part of his submission. Mm-hmm. I think there are folks that that's not about necessarily the submission, but it's about their fetish yeah. towards their image of submission. Yeah. Yeah. And some of us have paraphilia. Some of us have actual fetishes sure. where it's like, no, really, if our partner isn't wearing stockings, we can't have an erection. Mm-hmm. Or if my partner isn't into speaking at me in different accents, I can't get wet. Yeah. Like There are folks that that's a reality for. Uh, I had used to have, when I was an adult film actress, I used to have a guy who would send me sweaters. Uh, because I did sweater bondage. like I, For fun, I, I liked sweaters, and so I actually really enjoy sweaters and, and enjoy people wearing sweaters, and so I did all these photos of me being tied up while wearing sweaters. So all these guys with sweater fetishes started contacting me. And after sweater fetish, SweaterBondage.com closed, I became apparently the American queen of sweater bondage, which I have no idea what that means, but it made me laugh.
1: that it's got to be a, a really interesting award that you have on yeah, your plaque.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, um, but this guy used to send me sweaters he would send me five or six sweaters at a time, and he would say, you know, please keep all but one. Take photos in all of them. Um, And he would also pay me to get the photos that he wanted. Like, he would have scripts and whatnot. And he would say, whichever one you're not as interested in, as long as you were tied up in them and I have the photos to see that you were in this physical sweater, send send me that one sweater to my house. And I'm like, okay, that sounds great. But for him, no really, unless a sweater... Was on his lover, was in his arms, yeah. like that tactile experience, was a requirement yeah, yeah. for him. Sure. And so, could he orally pleasure his lovers if the sweater wasn't ple- present? Absolutely. And so, that's what a lot of his stuff between him and his girlfriend were. But when he wanted to get it up, that was that was a physical requirement for his body. Yeah. And so, I think if there's folks at home who are like, "Wow, this is a thing for me," or "I can't do that," that's okay some of us have fetishes and embracing your fetish I say rock it own it say you know this is what really works for me claim it as a yes rather than I can't
1: yeah so uh, let's let's go back a little to history a little bit more yeah Uh, how'd you get into porn and how did that how did that how did that start up
0: as an actress yeah so I for my senior year of university I went and lived in London I was moving over there to be with my master of the time and we ended up not being together yeah. long drown out separate woe story but that is what it is and I had been uh, you know without him for a period of time and a friend of mine said oh let's go to this play party I'm like I don't want to go to a play party I'll meet someone and then they'll leave me like it was this whole whoa thing. yeah 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 and he said, "Just, just get dressed up in something cute. You could just go and be a voyeur. You don't have to do anything. If nothing else, you and I get to hang out. We might make out in a corner. Are you okay with that?" Yeah. And I'm like, "Fine, fine." And so I, you know, put on a little cheerleader outfit and put my hair in pigtails, and we went down to to the club, down to Neverwhere, which you know was like a house party kind of thing where they would go in and take over you know a row house um, which is kind of like a condo but uh, sure and they would convert it so like one room was the wrestling room one room was the schoolgirl room and there was a little sign up on one of the doors that said uh, caning competition tonight at midnight and I looked at it and I said I love caning he's like I know you do and he's like do you want to go in? And I'm like, I can't go in there. I'll end up volunteering for the competition if I go in there. And so as a true friend does, he kicked me into the room. <laughs> right? Like that's, you know, tripped me, kicked me, whatever. Right. Like He he urged me with yes, physical... Strongly encouraged. <laughs> yeah. And I went into the room and this very fierce German femdom said, are you here for the caning competition? And I'm like, uh, y- yeah, yeah. She's like, do you have partner? I'm like, no. And so... Asked around, does anybody want to cane this poor American girl? And this gentleman uh, from Scotland stepped up and said, "I would love to. It would be my honor." We had a little bit of brief introductions, and I was labeled number four with a sharpie pen right. on my ass, and we went forward to the competition. Alex and I failed horribly. Alex being
1: the top, yeah, we lost horribly because I had fun. <laughs> well, wait, wait, because you were enjoying it too much and you weren't putting on the act of it being horrible, is that or what? So classical English caning. Remember, we're in London. Yeah, yeah. Is
0: taking ten of the best and like taking it like with like with stoicism yeah, yeah. and showing that you're a good boy or good girl and you know and responding with one, two, three, four, like counting things out formally right. and all that stuff and. I lost, like, we lost because I was giggling and laughing and being like, fuck, 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 like, at the top of my lungs. And, um, and Alex loved it. Like, he was having a great old time and grabbing my hair and, like, all of this stuff. Like, we had a really fun time, yeah. and we ended up becoming friends. And so a couple months later, like a month or two later, he said, hey, so i got an odd question for you. I'm like, what's that? He's like, do you want to be in, a, in an instructional slash pornographic film? And I'm, like, 19 at this point. And I'm, like, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. He's, like, I'm going to pay you money and custom make you a whip. And I'm, like, done. (laughs) (laughs) Done. He sold. Right. Sold. And so we did, a like, spaced out so that the marks could disappear in between. We did a a caning and whipping video uh, called Kiss of the Lash. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of fun. And for good or for ill, I made the choice to use my legal name in that video. So... I proceeded to do my entire adult film career under my legal name, which uh not necessarily my best choice ever, but okay. I was young and political. Sure, sure. But it was my first video, and I had a lot of fun doing it. And so when I got back stateside, and like, you know, I had friends who were in the in the adult, doing adult film stuff, and they're just like, oh, yeah, we're like, I'm like, game. That was fun. That yeah. was enjoyable. And so that's how I got started.
1: Were they mostly like BDSM instructional videos? or so
0: The first one was a BDSM instructional right, right, right. But video. The... Um, no, 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 I did girl-girl porn, I did solo porn, I did boy-girl porn, I did SM straight-up smut, yeah. uh, I did instructional stuff, I had my own website where it was everything from erotic glamour shots to, you know, me doing live webcam shows, sure. sucking a boy's cock, like, whatever it was, right? Yeah. But um, but no, it was, it, what's different about kink as compared to kinky porn is having to be able to pause and rewind your behaviors. Yeah. I remember shooting for... uh, Oh. God. um, Hellselevator.com. And... Which is a great porn site. Like, great SM site. And...
1: I laughed because I've never heard of it. I was like, "Wow, okay, that's go." Yes, hells
0: dot com. They're also the same company that owned. Uh, they've since sold their stuff to other companies, but they also owned Vicious Fixins, which, as a sub you may or may not have heard
1: of. Uh, maybe, possibly. But, yeah. um,
0: but anyway, so I'm shooting for Hell's Elevator, and a friend of mine, uh, uh, Lady Fay, is topping me. And so she's this tiny little thing with a professional ballet background. And so the idea is I'm in this encasement, like she puts me in this full encasement Zentai suit with only an openable crotch. So that like she so she dehumanizes me, ties me up, puts me in like a posture collar or whatever it was, opens up the crotch, fists me and then foots me. Right. Because she's got tiny, tiny feet. Right. That's the plot line. Right. (laughs) Right. So it's not like and so we had like that was the concept and where we go with it as long as it fits within 30 minutes. Cool. Sure. Right. That's the concept. 30, 30, whatever it was. And so here she is. Yeah, I've gotten myself in the encasement. We've got me into the encasement suit. She's been pushing me down the ground, trampling on me, pulling me up, like all this kind of stuff. Really hot, really fun. And we get to the point where she's about to fist me. I don't know where she's about to foot me. So she's we've gotten to the point where she's like like she she puts herself into ballet boots. Like not ballet boots but like ballet actual shoes. Right. And we throw a condom over the top of it. And at the time before my hysterectomy I was very flexible in yeah. that department. And not quite the case anymore. Right. And so like I'm all ready for this and she slips the toe in. And the director says hold that. Like she's balanced with her arms on a chair with like her back arched up. Like I've got my ass up in the air, like crouched onto one side. Her like her first two inches of her toe are inside me. <laughs> right. And the director says, hold that. Like, Line? <laughs> like that's, and, and then we had to then go back direct. Like we had to then rewind two seconds. Like he's like, okay, just pull out a little bit. I want to be able to get the, the, the sink back together. And I'm like, because only one camera? Is that what... Yeah, we were shooting with one camera okay. at that point. And I'm just like... No, no, that's what... We had one steady cam, but he, he, he was here, and so it's like... Right, yeah. He wanted to get the other up-close direction. Oh, my God. And that doesn't happen in most SM <laughs> scenes. Right. I mean, I'm sure it could happen in some people's fantasies sure, and sure. fetishes, but... At least in my world, she just would have slipped the other half of the foot in. I would have fallen down on the ground crying. Yeah. She would have ordered me to get back up from the ground. And I would have tried to stay there as a way to please her. Like, that's what would have probably happened in the actual scene. But instead, I had to hold that position Ugh. with the first two inches of somebody's toes inside right, me. Right. Like that,
1: That's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> there we have it. Lee Harrington is called something weird. <laughs> it's oh. I didn't know we'd actually make this point point, but I'm just, I'm honored that you said it on this on this show.
0: But there are lots of things that are weird. Sure, yeah, I met yeah. somebody who had sex on a giant pizza under an Elvis statue. I'm sorry, but for me that's a little weird. Was this on camera? Huh?
1: No. No, that that didn't have to be. Oh, okay.
0: Right. No, 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 that was somebody who just that's that was what their sex life was into. Say that again, on pizza? A giant pizza. They made like a three foot wide pizza. Yeah. And had sex with it underneath an Elvis, sex on top of it with their partner under an Elvis statue. What were the toppings? I have no
1: idea. Okay.
0: I didn't ask that detail. Well, don't judge until you know, okay? (laughs) Because... And I'm all for if you're pe- I'm all for your Elvis pizza fetish, like sure. that's cool. But I mean, there's just things that I consider weird. But then again, there's things that people that I do that people are like, really? How many marshmallows were up there? Like, right,
1: <laughs> right, right. So sacred kink. Let's talk about. Sacred Let's talk kink. about sacred kink. Uh, I've I've heard this before, and this is one of those things that it seems like different people have different ideas yeah. uh, or different definitions.
0: To me, sacred kink is anything that you define as sacred. And anything that you define as kink, interacting with each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's easy enough. So, so that's the broad category. Sure. From, in my own life, it's more narrowed down. But to me, like when people are like, "What is it?" Like, that's my
1: pat answer.
0: Because I think a place to start the conversation. You're doing
1: you're doing uh, you're doing classes on it. You're uh, on it, And how how does that? What does yeah. That look like?
0: So in my, I had a vision. Like an all out, out of body, et cetera, et cetera, vision when I was 17 years old? In the middle of a scene. Mm-hmm. Like. And I had times before that where I went out of body because scenes were going weird or like where I was going into such a deep subspace that I just wasn't present anymore. But like I had an all out like I am not on this plane of existence kind of experience of my my spiritual experience as a pagan combining with my physical experience as an SMer. And it blew my mind open. I was like, what the hell is this? And I had conversations with people, but a lot of people were like, oh, well, you were just in a really deep subspace or wow that sounds a lot like tantra where you doing tantric sex that happens to have a kink element and, and i didn't have answers for it sure and so i was i just had a lot of conversations i read as many books as i could there you know there's uh, uh, Anyway, I was, I was reading books, having conversations with people, and my own thera, theory on the whole topic and, and that I based my book off of, which is called Sacred Kink, uh, came because I was talking to Raven Caldera, who wrote Dark Moon Rising, which is pagan BDSM and the Ordeal Path, which was a delight because I, only, I found out about that book because when I was working on my rope bondage book, Shabar You Can Use, I stayed in his attic. To finish the book. Like, I did, like, that, I don't know if you know a lot of authors, but a lot of us do, like, writing retreats where it's like, I need to cut out the entire world and just do nothing but this for a week or three. Yeah. And so I did my writing retreat living in his attic. That's amazing. Yeah. We have that book. Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. And I would come down each day, and he was working on that book. And so he would talk to me about Dark Moon Rising. He would say, like, do you have some artwork I can use? Because I was working as a semi-pro photographer at the time for the adult film world. Mm-hmm. And so like, I would give him artwork. He would interview me on things. And so when after that book came out, he wrote an essay called The Eightfold Paths of Northern Tradition Shamanism. So like, this has nothing to do with kink, right? It's all about... Being a shaman from Norway. Like, that's... That was what the essay was on. Right. And I read it, and I went, Oh my God, Raven. This is something talking about what I've been talking about. And he went, That's what, what the essay's about. I mean, I guess it could apply, but that's not what the essay's about. And I'm like, No, 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 seriously. Like, this is an amazing format. Yeah. Can I steal it? He's like, If you really want to. Right. Um have fun yeah yeah like he was a little bit more encouraging than that but not a whole lot more and so for me it broke down the idea into different ways to approach altered states of consciousness and so an example is the path of rhythm so I don't know have you ever had an experience where somebody's just beating you sure
1: yeah yeah
0: and your body like either you kind of go out of your head or like you get like really present or you get woozy or you have like that emotional breakthrough absolutely that's rhythm. Yeah. And it's the exact same experience that's been used in tribal cultures of that drumbeat taking you into the netherworld, or that drumbeat bringing you present to be part of your tribe.
1: Yeah.
0: That's what rhythm is. And so it's rhythm and breath and being present with your body in the path of flesh, or having an ordeal that once you go into it, you're not the same person coming out. Yeah. And I know a lot of people are like, "Oh, an ordeal! That's like hook suspension, right? Or being pierced, or what?" If those things are get you hard, get you hard, they're not an ordeal. I would personally argue. Yeah. For some people, it's standing on stage, having a con- like speaking for the first time. Yeah. That's their ordeal. For other people I know in the kink community, the ordeal is playing publicly for the first time or going to their first munch.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah, that's a good. That's a great point. Yeah. There's there, there's like this threshold. Yeah, whether it's going to your first munch or that first experience where it's really nerve-wracking and once you get over it, it feels like it's nothing but you're kind of grown afterwards, right? There's, right. You've, you've made a huge leap, yeah.
0: Exactly, and so for me, these are all different ways to alter your consciousness, right? Whether it's temporarily or permanently. Yeah. There are ways to alter your consciousness. And so for me, my approach to sacred kink is, is there an intention? Are you paying attention? And if you're doing both of those... Those are the two ingredients in a lot of pagan communities for creating magic. Yeah. That's what a spell is. Yeah. Is spelling out your intention, adding attention to it, and voila, you've created magic.
1: And so you've combined this with, with kink. Yeah. So, like, rhythm. I mean, I've, I've experienced that. Um, in my situation, we were, we were doing a public scene or something like that, and Saad was like spanking me in it and the time just stopped because you mm. kept going and I' and I you know I found out later like an, like she did it for like two hours nonstop and it felt like five minutes or yeah. whatever um what other aspect I mean well, rhythm we, breathing let's look
0: into that for a second sure. before we move forward, which is um and this is maybe the question where people go well was that just a scene where you just kind of spaced out and time stopped or was that sacred and so for me, I would ask you, did it bring you closer to your partner? Yes. Uh, did you have some sort of ecstatic experience where you saw God, or where you experienced some sort of epiphany, or where you melted into that experience fully?
1: I'd say the melting part was definitely I mean, okay. I mean, there was a point when I thought, "There's no way I can go one more."
0: Mm. And as
1: I was, I, I I can't have one more swat. I, felt, right. I remember thinking that, and as I was thinking that, it, it happened. And then, uh, so I started thinking about that one. Like, I right. can't go one more. And it was just... That's delicious. It was really intense. It was really yeah, intense.
0: It yeah. reminds me of, uh, there's a person that I know up in Canada who talked about a very similar thing where for her, she did a scene where she was like, I can't take any more. And yet she did another one. I can't take any more. she yeah. did another one. And that went on for a really extended period of time. And to the point where she was actually, she did hook suspension. And for her, she actually got up on those hooks and was like, I can't believe I'm here. I said I couldn't do it, and yet I'm up. She was up for five minutes, and she was like, that's what I can take. I have to come back down. Right. But in that coming down, when she, uh, when she came down, on Monday at work, somebody came to her and was just like, you know, blah, 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 blah. All these projects need done. And the moment that happened, last week... She would have the week before. She would have been like, "Oh my God, I can't take this. I have to tap out of everything." Right. Blah blah blah. And instead, what happened was her brain went, "If I could do a fucking flesh hook suspension, <laughs> I can deal with my employees." Right. Bitchin. Right, <laughs> like, right. Exactly. Where where reality folded and something new has happened, and so that transformation for her was a sacred experience. So for some people, it's like when you're at church, right? Like for the, for the people who are of you know Christian background. Yeah. Where you're in church, where for some people it's, oh my God, I had that moment where Jesus talked to me or where the, the preacher said that perfect thing. It was a sacred breakthrough for me. Yeah. While for other people, it's the path of asceticism, where it's by going and kneeling and getting back up and kneeling and getting back up, or by going and sitting every Sunday or every Christmas and bearing witness to what happens, yeah. that that sacred experience slowly Evolves. It's not necessarily an aha, or maybe it's 30 years of doing something and then the aha happens. Because that's ritual, right? Right, and right, that's right another, exactly. That's another two paths in kink for me. Ritual, where for me, it's laying out all of the cans before a scene and having my partner kneel down and wait. And that moment of silence, that perfect silence until the music starts and doing that every single time we play or the ritual of bestowing leathers on someone or a collaring ceremony those rituals where we enter into a different state of consciousness or we change who we were or the path of asceticism you talked about dominance and submission how is that not like going to church or going to that potluck right, right. and having those tribal rituals or Cutting out the rest of the world and living like a monk. Yeah, yeah. Literally, when we're entering into
1: mastery and slavery. How does this look? I mean, how how do you uh, attack this in when you're doing an intensive on this? Are you are you helping people find their own, or how does that how does that work? So here's
0: where the adventure happens. Uh, I've done classes on it where it's all theory, where we oh, it's theory slash discussion. Yeah. Where it's you know let's. Uh, let's talk about what's happened for you. I have people share their personal stories and people have, oh, that's what it's like for you. I have a new idea. So it's part discussion circle, part me theory- sharing my theory, part sharing my stories mm-hmm. of what's happened to me. And that's like between an hour and a half and a four hour class, depending on the structure. And I did a weekend in Florida called Circles of Kink, which was a two day experience where we did uh, classes on Friday. We did a ritual on Friday night where what we did is we went outside and bonfires were burning and all these different, like, cauldron things, and we made a giant circle of rope that everybody held onto, and everybody had their own string mm-hmm. that they had knotted or corded, and everybody brought, like, a different color, and we started off and we made a giant spider web. And we had people nod off to each other and people were crawling in and out out of this giant you know 12 foot across spider web until it was this this thing and then we hung it on the wall throughout the rest of the weekend yeah. and on Saturday night we had a play party where people were encouraged to come and we did classes on Saturday on different topics of sacred kink we ta- we did an entire class on rituals. We did an entire class on role playing and how that interacts with invocation and evocation yeah. Of different um, emotional experiences and presences. So, for example, uh, the power of transformation that happens when you pull on that thigh high, uh, you know, that thigh high latex boot. That you're not by putting on that fetish object, you're taking on the fetish aspects, like like anthropological fetish power of that high heel. Um, So we talked about that. We did other kinds of things, and then Saturday night we had a big play party, and then we had a closing ritual. It was a great weekend. But in February I'm debuting something totally different, which scares me. Cuz it always scares me when I debut something new because to yeah. me fear is fear is something that inspires me to greatness. Because at least for I don't know if have you ever had anything like that where it's like something was scary. And so therefore I want to do it better where it's yeah. like,
1: well, you're, you're pushing yourself because yeah, you yeah, no, I know, I know what you're talking. It's about. like finals,
0: yeah, right? You know. Where it's like, oh, my God, the night before I'm studying for 14 hours and pulling my hair out and I can't believe I'm doing this thing. But because I pushed myself and I spent the last three weeks studying when I hit that class, I'm in that perfect calm.
1: Yeah. This is on sacred kink. Is this it's
0: going to be a sacred kink all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday intensive? Where we're going to take every single one of the paths and have, in some cases, conversation, but in most of the cases, experiential pieces. So, for the path of rhythm, we're going to be doing cathartic emotional breakthrough work, which may for some people be actual emotional breakthrough and for other people be trance work, and for other, but it's going to be working with the concept of rhythm. And seeing where your body and your heart and your spirit goes when you're induced into a rhythmic, hypnotic state yeah. for an extended period of time. And we're going to be training people both on how to give that hypnotic experience and how to be receptive to that experience based on where their calling is right now. And that's just an hour and a half of a three-day weekend. <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm still working with my I'm, – I'm working with a fantastic um, – uh, individual named Bella Luna and her creative partner Mistress Calliope in San Francisco, and they're both amazing femdoms who do other work as well, but like that's the focus of their energetic work is sacred femdom work, which I deeply respect. There's a number of people around the globe who are now filling that space. Because I really believe it's important for professional femdoms or professional dominance of any sort yeah. to be able to provide those emotional breakthrough pieces for people, whether they're long-term clients or people who just need that one-off uh, ordeal experience or that one-off rite of passage. Yeah. Help take me from being a boy into being a man. Yeah. Help take me from being the person who was broken by a you know by an ex-wife who did nothing but yell at me for the last 12 years into being somebody who can pursue my new path. Yeah. And so there are people who are doing that work. And the three of us are, even though I'm leading the weekend, the two of them are helping me structure it because they're going to be being my assistants for the weekend. And I believe in collaborative work because it's like being in a DS relationship. Why wouldn't I use someone else to the fullness of their capacity? Why should I just use them as adjuncts? Mm -hmm. When I can pick their brain, when both of us, them have been doing this work for at least fifteen
1: years, and say, "So here's my baby. Can you help me turn my baby into a toddler?" Right. The thing is, because I, 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 to be honest, I mean, all the, all the educational based or educational events I've gone to are things like Test Fest mm. or or Floating World, which are are great, where they have a whole bunch of different topics and right. all. Right. But the one thing I've always felt. I mean, I haven't gone to one in a couple of years just because, I I don't know, a variety of different reasons, but Mm -hmm. not that I didn't enjoy them, right? But I think that something like the intensive, being able to focus on something like that would actually let me get, whenever I've had any class, I've always just, you you just get kind of a hint. Right. You know, whenever I've I've gone to like something like that, you know, there can be a great presenter. But you're just getting a hint of of what it is. There's no way you. It's, it's impossible to experience something in one class unless it's a quick needle play demo or right. whatever. Um, and you know, usually in my day-to-day life, if someone's, you know, if you had said, hey, you know, uh, read this book on sacred Kingdom, i say, ah, I don't, I don't have time. I, I wish I could. I don't have and so the in- intensive, something like that, sounds very. The way you put it sounds very appealing to be able to actually dive into it like that.
0: Right. And. Yeah. I'm I'm blessed that this is not a first time intensive experience for me. I've mm. been for the last three years. That sounds about right. Doing a three day intensive called Delving into Power, which um, I'm debuting Sacred Kink in February in San Francisco. But for East Coasters, I'm doing Delving into Power in April in the Boston Hartford area, like okay. that region. And it's a limited experience, like a limited person where I run it for between twelve and twenty people. And I think the lar- I I did it once for a larger group and it was a poor choice. Um, the, the largest it's healthy for is about twenty-two, right. because we create a really cohesive group. Yeah. And I do, you know, one-off like where like like I do lecturing work, but I also do conversational stuff. I do stuff where we break into dominant submissive submissive groups, so people have peer-to-peer communication. Sure, sure. I pair people with people who have done nothing, with like, know nothing about your story. I have us do a, like, round-robin, like, quick questions where people are like, oh, my God, you're asking me what's the thing I'm most scared about with power exchange? And I'm telling it to a stranger, and I have a minute and a half. Are you joking? And I'm like, nope, not joking, go. Uh, And so some of it's really ordealistic, and some of it's, like, really heartfelt. Some of it's... And it's a three-day, oh, my God. But the amazing thing is, on Friday night people get to share their intentions and I get to help create a linguistical framework. So we're all on similar pages to start the conversation and it just keeps going further and further and further. And I just ran it recently in Alaska and you know, it's about two weeks later and I got an email from somebody going, my brain still full, (laughs) still full. Yeah. And one of the times I ran the intensive, there were people though that came out of it like that day, like Sunday they closed, like, we closed the circle and they looked at me, like, after a couple people had left and they just looked at me and said, like, the, the, it was a dominant partner who came to me and said, I think you saved our relationship. That's great. While his submissive was away, and I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, it, it, and it was because there was this one segment where we were talking about communication and love systems. And he was like, yeah, I never thought of applying that, which is such a basic concept of how do we show love. Yeah. I've never thought of, even though we don't use the word love in our power exchange relationship necessarily. I've never thought of that based on how do I build my protocols, because as an example, if somebody is a, uh, if somebody's basic language for love is hearing words of, of, of appreciation, but as a punishment, you tell them, I won't play with you or I won't touch you until you do this, and they go, um okay but every time they then do something and it's also around the house you go thank you yeah they're still getting their needs met and they don't care that they got punished yeah or maybe their care in their heart but they they don't like they care but they do, it doesn't sink in as much as if there are words of affirmation person saying to them uh you were a horrible person you've disappointed me and let me down or just even saying you've let me down yeah to somebody who's a words of affirmation person. And when he told me that you've changed our relationship, there are other people who's just like, because they got to do it for three days, they had that one yeah. aha, or there's th- they're 30 ahas.
1: Yeah, yeah. Just, it sounds really, really fascinating. And I hope you I hope you don't just, you know, it sounds like you're doing it quite a few times. I mean, this is not...
0: I, te- I mean, so my reality is, since this is my full-time living, I'm oh, like, so for example, there's a group of people in Portland who are like, oh, we'd love to have it happen. I'm like, great, find a venue. Mm-hmm. Find at least four people that we can start the seed with that we know at least those four people are gonna be doing it and so you know, we're not looking completely off, you know, out of nowhere to see if we can find people. And let's have a conversation about what that would look like for your specific community and we can make it happen. I even do one-on-one stuff where literally I had I had one person who booked me who was just like, I wanna work on stuff around my relationship. And I'm gonna bring like here's my list of concerns and she emailed like she emailed me a whole bunch of ideas and i said cool and we proceeded to have then a three-hour phone conversation on it and you know she threw me a little bit to be able to have that phone conversation be you know time set aside and all that and we took we got together on i think it was friday evening we got together for no no it was saturday morning we had a an early an early lunch like 10.30, 10.30, 11 a.m. Thai food. And we talked for two hours over Thai food. And then we went back to the hotel She'd come because she'd come to the town I was living in. Mm-hmm. We went back to her hotel room and we proceeded to talk until about 4 a.m. And some of it was talking, some of it was physical skill sets, some of yeah, it was yeah. whatever. But based on everything that she'd sent me, I literally custom designed her a 30-page handout to go, like 30 pages of notes to go home with in case we didn't cover everything. And we talked and did stuff for a total of... What was that? 15 hours? No, 17 hours. That's amazing. And we just went until her brain fell apart. And she's like, nope, full. And I'm like, great.
1: <laughs> this is the, we've been talking for about like two hours. <laughs> and we're not even close to the list of questions I had, even, or the ones that even came up over the course of conversation. So I hope you're willing to come back and do it again. Absolutely. In a couple months. If you have another spare few hours, it doesn't sound like you, I don't know how you got time to do this, but, and you're on Twitter, Passion and Soul. If you type in passion it?
0: and soul anywhere on the internet, Facebook, FetLife, uh, Deviant Art, uh, LiveJournal, Twitter, I'm there. If you go to passionandsoul.com and scroll all the way to the bottom, there's actually a section called "Stalking Made Easy."
1: Yeah. So I try to make it. It's easy a for great website, and the the list of books is. I mean, we could do a whole episode just reading all your books. I don't know how you did how you did all this. It's insane.
0: And I've got more coming out, so I've got th- four
1: more under production right now. Well, four more, yeah, okay.
0: What, would, what are the subjects? Uh, I'm doing a. am working on a sequel right now. We've shot most of the images, but I've got to do all the copy and all like all of that stuff for the sequel to Shibara You Can Use, oh, which wow. will be called More Shibara You Can Use because I'm really creative. That's great. Um, I'm working on, based on the delving into power intensive, I've been slowly working on a book on dominance and submission and figuring out your personal path with that. Uh, and I'm working on a poetry book. That's going to be called Star um, on Starry Thighs, which is going to be all of my erotic and pagan poetry, and I'm also working on a book on teaching skills.
1: There's there's Lee, and then there's the bunch of Lee clones. Is this how you're doing all this? So I've been joking about it, but it's one of the reasons I love
0: teaching people how to teach. Yeah, is because I can't be everywhere. Yeah, I really can't. Um, I mean, I want to. I would love to. And there's some areas that are like, we can't afford to bring you out. And I'm like, great, let's find some sponsors. Like right now, as a note, I am trying to raise funds if people are interested in trying to get me to Colonial Kink in Virginia, either for this year or next year. They can't afford my airfare, let alone anything else. So they're like, we can maybe get you a hotel room. I'm like, I respect that. You're a brand new event. You're in Virginia. Yeah, yeah. You got like, and so if people out there want to sponsor me to get to Virginia or sponsor, there's another group in Iowa that's like, we just, can you come for one class? Yeah. Um, so if there's people out there who want to sponsor a crazy artist, like bring it on. Yeah, let yeah. Let's Let's bring this to smaller communities. But for me... I want to teach other people to be amazing educators and bring their passion out there because I want excellence for all of us. I am so saddened that the kink community has this perception that if somebody knows how to throw a whip, they know how to teach how to throw a whip. It's not true. It's not. That doesn't make that person not a good person. No, and it no. doesn't make them not excellent at mentoring someone. Excellent. And mentoring is so important in community. It's it's starting to become a lost art. That I, I think if there's people out there who know how to teach one other person to do something, please, please be a mentor. We need yeah. mentors. Yeah. We need performers. We need facilitators. We need, And these are all different skill sets. So for me, if I can teach one other person how to go out and do one of those things, our community is one. This is true. Our community wins. And that's what I want. I want us to all to win.
1: Well, you're, you've definitely made this podcast a winner just by being <laughs> here. But <laughs> with, there was one person who, who tweeted a question. All right. So uh, Bring it on, tweet. This is going to be one of the maybe, uh, this is a very, I mean, it, it is what it is. If you could only pursue one kinky activity for the rest of your life, which one? <sighs> this is um, sort of my Barbara Walters question if I had. Love. You, love.
0: If I can only pursue one kinky, edgy, or extreme activity for the rest of my life, it would be love because I believe actually pursuing love and connection is one of the most radical things we can do. Not seeing, you know, not seeing the person I want to see, but seeing somebody as they actually are to the depth of who they are and still looking at them and finding them beautiful and amazing and feeling that experience in return
1: is radical. You have a way of answering a question differently than I was expecting, uh, that makes me feel dumber than, than I was. I thought, oh, this is gonna be really dirty. This is gonna be really dirty. And then you come out, what's that? That's brilliant. Thank, I, you, thank yeah. you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much
0: for having me. Promise me you're, you're gonna
1: come back. Done. This is a verbal contract, I think it's. Verbal contract. Open court.
0: Verbal contract held. And, however, my barter with you because I am my father's child, which means that everything must come for a price. Okay. Just how my father rolls. Okay. Will you be on my podcast? Absolutely, please?
1: done right. deal. Because I'll, I'll just try to turn it around and interview you. It'll be, it'll be, <laughs> <laughs> it'll be the battle of the, the podcasters. Oh yeah, well that's a good question. I've got one for you. So. <laughs> thank you again. Absolutely, thank you so done much. Night. Thank you, Lee. Again, that's passion and soul. Uh, just about anywhere online, and uh, also you can uh, review or even just rate the podcast on iTunes helps promote the show. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.